Are you a business owner worried about the safety of your sensitive data? Look no further than Midwest Data Depot, your local secure offsite backup storage solution. Visit MidwestDataDepot.com. The wind and the 2-2 from J.P. Gagne. Breaking ball! Swing and a miss! And that's the ball game! J.P. Gagne retires the last nine batters he faces. The Florida State win streak comes to an end at 25, and Notre Dame is one win away from a trip to Omaha in the College World Series. 3-1, to one, Notre Dame in the top of the ninth, two outs and nobody on. J.P. Gunya into the windup. Futrell, swing and a miss! Omaha, here come the Irish! 3-1 to one as Notre Dame storms the field! The Fighting Irish beat the number one team in the nation in two out of three games at the Super Regional on Florida State's home field. And Notre Dame is going to Omaha for the first time since 1957. Well, uh, those were some of the dramatic memories, the uh, dramatic endings from the 2002 Super Regional between Notre Dame and Florida State in Tallahassee, J.P. Gagne on the mound to close out both of those two games, games one and game three. And this, of course, the 20th anniversary of Notre Dame's 2002 College World Series team. And uh, JP is with us right now. How are you this afternoon, Mr. Gagne? I'm, I'm doing great. I got goosebumps just listening to that again. <laughs> well, those were uh, two, two pretty big moments for, obviously, you and your team, 20 years since that College World Series team, which seems insane. But, you know, as you kind of sit back now and, and you think about that season, what, what's what's maybe the first thing or two that, that comes to mind when you think about that? Well, I, the first thing that I always think about is how we started out this season. I think we were like 10 and 10 through 20 games. Right. I mean, coming off of the previous two seasons where we had been so dominant right out of the gates. And I know that the previous year we were at number one in the – Things were oh, there in Hellman and, and Danny Tamayo to the draft, and we really had to reboot our pitching staff, and it, it showed at the beginning of that season. And I think we just had, you know, a pretty young staff. We had a lot of injuries, so we got off to a slow start, and then we just seemed to hit our stride, you know, about that 20th game, and we just kind of kept getting better and better, and our young players kept giving us more and more contributions, and you know, we seemed like we had we didn't have a lot as much pressure as maybe we had the two previous years and we just went on a went on a run it was fantastic and that was really the thing about that team obviously and it, just the resiliency that you guys had everything you talked about all the injuries there were so many injuries early on you know that contributed to that slow start that you talked about and obviously um, things ended up pretty well but it was uh you know, a lot of things had to happen. Those highlights they played from the Super Regional that went over Florida State, and they were number one in the nation. You had to beat them twice that weekend to get to Omaha. And I had uh, Paul Maneri on last week, and he talked about how he believed you guys could go there and win twice. And, I mean, between – I, I guess maybe this is a, a two-pronged question – where did the belief come that you guys could, you know, one, overcome all those early obstacles, and then two, going into that Super Regional against the number one team in the, in the nation that, that had won 25 straight, how did you get, you know, have the belief that you were actually going to be able to do that? You know, I think I, I think I owe, we owe a lot of it to Coach. He 
I don't think he told us that they had 25 game winning streak. I don't think he built them up as <laughs> as great as maybe they were. Uh-huh. Uh So we were maybe a little naive heading into it. And I think also for us, it was a huge weight off of our shoulders just to get through the regional. I mean, we had been, you know, the previous couple of years we had been within a few outs of, of winning a regional and we finally did it where, you know, I think for where we started, like I mentioned, we started so slow that for us, even just getting to a super regional was pretty exciting. So I think we were pretty relaxed going into it. And then, you know, I, I think we, we got off to such a great start in game one where we started hitting the ball right away. I know Sabisky had a home run, right. You know, Grant Johnson was pitching great. And all of a sudden it's like, Hey, we can play with these guys. They're not that special. I mean, you saw the big names that they had on the roster, but it, you know, it seemed like we could play with them and we kind of struck first and gave us the confidence to, to, to beat them that first game. And, you know, although we got kind of turned around on, on game two, you know, Chris Neesel pitched so well in game three that I just, you know, it was, it was pretty amazing ride. And I think we just, we were able to maybe hit them with the first punch and that, and that gave us the confidence to, to pull through. Absolutely. JP Ganyu with us from the 2002 Notre Dame college world series team, the 20th anniversary this year. So in that game one, you come in, it's the seventh inning. You guys had just gone up six to four in that game do you remember like what you're thinking what your mindset is you're warming up and you're taking the mound for the first time down there uh i figured that i was going to be finishing it i don't think there was a game that year where by the time coach brought me in it was more or less there's no one else coming in after you so you know i knew i had to give them three good innings um i was hoping that we would score a few more runs to give me a little more run support uh if i if i remember correctly i think i came into the game with at least one guy on base and fell behind a hitter and gave up a really hard hit ball that I believe Stavisky made an incredible catch in left field on. Yes. And that took the pressure off. And after that, you know, I just more or less did my, my usual through strikes and let them hit it at our guys and hoping we'd be out. Um, you know, it was, I think that getting out of that first inning where they had guys on base and, and securing that, and I'm pretty sure we had an insurance run in either the 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 top of the eighth or top of the ninth where it made things easier when we when you have at least a two-run cushion you always feel like you can attack hitters a little bit more and you just try not to walk anybody and give them any free passes i i dusted off you know a couple of the old cds to pull out those those highlights the other day and so i was listening to a little bit of it and it's because i had forgotten about the place davisky made that you just talked about and then in the third game there was like a it was late in the game as well the seventh or eighth inning he made a great diving catch and he was a guy known much more for the home runs than his defense probably as an outfielder but he really had a 100%. good weekend out there in the outfield for you yeah 100 percent. i mean that that was not something expected i mean he was a great athlete he didn't maybe have uh the best arm but he could get around the outfield he was deceptive speed and he you know he made that great catch i think it was over his head on mine and then i remember in game three i was warming up down that left field line when the ball was hit i think there was like a runner on first that would have been you know kind of put him in the spot of, of tightening up the game and he slid down the line right in front of the fence and right. made an incredible catch so it was two huge plays that you really you, you kind of forget about when you know we won the first game by a few runs and we're able to you know win the second game three to one but they uh they meant a lot and really turned around that series they had a guy florida state did named ryan Bartholomew. And he had like 90 RBIs in a 56-game season going into that series, which is just an insane amount of RBIs in a 56-game season. But you guys locked him up all weekend. Do you remember kind of the plan of attack going against him? 
Yeah, a little bit. I mean, their lineup was, was pretty stacked. I mean, you had Stephen Drew, I believe, led off for him, who eventually ended up being a number one pick. Right. And I know Tony Ritchie was a catcher for them that was a, was a high, highly sought after, I think, you know, catcher. And Bartholomew at first base, I mean, yeah, he put up, it was, it was crazy numbers that he had. And, you know, I think the big thing for us was I think we changed speeds and we were trying not to let him get his arms extended. He was a bigger guy. Right. And I think a lot of his power – was kind of the center field in the opposite way. I do remember, I think it was in game two, he either, he hit one deeper, he hit one, uh, he, I don't know if it was out or it was deep to center field, that you could see that he had the power. And, you know, I, I think I was lucky enough, I think I faced him in game one and was able to get him out, but uh, avoided him in game three. But I think in general, you know, Chris and Grant and Peter, who are the starting pitchers that weekend, really just try to mix things up and, and keep them off balance more than anything. And uh, thankfully we did a pretty good job. You got him to pop up. As a matter of fact, all right. Again, there we listening go. to some I of that stuff, that you got him to pop up. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so when likely I, a changeup. That's that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Speaking of which, I mean that was that was your best pitch, and I believe I misidentified it as as a breaking ball a couple of times. But it had it had so much movement, you know, about as much as I can remember from from any changeup. That's that's a hard pitch to master. How long had you, you know, kind of been working on that pitch? by that point you know it's pretty wild like I really you know when I showed up to Notre Dame I was I thought I was still more of a position player than I was a pitcher and obviously needed the pitching and and, and was thrust right into the role and it just was a pitch that I just I, I tell kids now when I'm coaching that you just need to grip it and play catch with it all the time and eventually you find a grip that feels comfortable and you you have control over it and over time as you noted, I started to get more and more movement on it. And, I mean, it really really was almost more of a screwball than it was a changeup. Yeah. But obviously it became a very <laughs> effective pitch for me. You know, I know Brian O'Connor fooled around with me for a while trying to get me to throw like a, a splitter or something else. Um, but I really couldn't – I didn't throw anything else that moved as well as that did. And I, I still throwed it, you know, threw it in a way that was deceptive enough coming off my fastball. So – you know, it was great, and, and both coaches, you know, Maneri and O'Connor trusted me to throw it in just about any situation, and, you know, Paul O'Toole was not afraid to, to throw down the wiggle <laughs> fingers just about at any point. So, you know, I threw my fair share, and, and it was effective. Yeah, I mean, effective that weekend in that between that game three where you retired nine in a row to end that game and then a one, two, three, ninth in the clincher, 12 guys you set down in a row in the, the changeup was uh was obviously a pretty big part of that I, i've shaken hands with you a few times i seem to remember you've got some pretty big mitts does that kind of help you know with that with that change up i think it does i mean it allowed me i mean it was really almost turned into a palm ball so i could grip it you know my hands were i guess probably a little bit bigger for for my height that i could grip it way back in and really take a lot of speed off of it and uh and feel like i could really kind of keep my same motion as i do with my fastball so I felt like the hitters couldn't really read what I was throwing, and that was, you know, a big part of what made it effective. But yeah, I think I think the big hands definitely helped. Well, you know, and when I had Paul on last week, he talked about that, you know, kind of being part of the rationale they needed a a closer for that team. You're midway through the season, you fire a complete game shutout in a midweek game against BYU, and then he says he asks you to become the closer. Do you remember kind of, you know, what? what What's going through your head when he says, hey, by the way, do you want to be the closer now, J.P.? I, I was laughing. I mean, what was hysterical <laughs> about that stretch is that I had started a Sunday game, I believe it was, in West Virginia, and I don't know if I got out of the first inning. I was horrible. 
And then I come back two days later, and because I didn't, I only threw one inning. Coach is like, "We're going to start you, you know, against BYU." And without a doubt, it was my best outing I've ever had, ever had. And really, at Notre Dame, and throw a complete game. I was like, "What?" Nine strikeouts, only two or three hits, and then legitimately the next day he brings me off and says, "You're the closer," and it's like, "What? <laughs> what did I do? What? Are you serious?" But I mean, it made perfect sense, and I mean, and his explanation made a lot of sense. I mean, we had. We had all these young, great arms. We had, you know, Grant Johnson, you know, Chris Niesel, John Axford, uh, Martin Dreguera, all these guys that came in with, with a lot of hype and had great velocity, and he could trust them early in the game, but you weren't always sure in a one-run game that you were going to get strikes out of them at the end of the game, and that was, right. you know, his big thing with me. And, you know, I had – I was fortunate enough my first couple of years where I had a, I started a lot and I came back on shorter rests and always bounced back pretty well. So I think he also felt like, you know, I could give him, you know, two, three, four innings, potentially throw the next day or even the third day in a row if needed. So, you know, it all, it all worked out and, you know, I kind of took a hold of the role. Wasn't a traditional closer with my velocity, but um, definitely, you know, made, made the most of it. Worked out pretty well. JP Gagne with us from Notre Dame's 2002 college world series team. And so, Obviously, you beat Florida State. You go to Omaha. Describe that College World Series experience when you guys get there. I mean, just incredible. Uh, I'll never forget the practice day. We got to be on the field and just looking around at the stadium. I mean, I think we had, you know, at least a few hundred, if not a few thousand people in this massive stadium mm-hmm. uh, that you couldn't even wreck. You couldn't even picture there being a full, a full stadium at that practice day. You know, we did some autograph sessions. We got to do the whole thing. It was, it was just really, really neat. Stepping on that field for the game against Stanford and walking out day game, completely packed CBS. uh, What a neat experience and incredible that, you know, looking back how stacked that Stanford team and we really took a, Took him to the end, and you know I think a lot of the guys on the team would say if the umpire wasn't giving Guthrie <laughs> about ten inches off of the plate, it That's might have right. been a different story. But um, you know, incredible experience. You know, we played in all three games. I was fortunate enough to pitch in all three games, and uh, you know, it'll, it's a memory that'll last a lifetime for sure. Yeah, and I mean, between the the two teams that you played, you played Stanford twice, and and you played Rice. I mean, there were like five or six, if not more, guys who ended up playing in the big leagues and including a couple of big league pitchers on those teams so yeah I mean I think Stanford's entire infield ended up playing in the major leagues basically I mean they were they were stacked and they had Guthrie um you know we we played them tight and that Rice team was the number one team coming into it so we we definitely were on the tough side of the draw and you know looking back it would have been great to pull off that first one and see what we could have really done but you know we put ourselves in a little bit of hole after that first one and Try to make a run of it, but it's tough once you get in that loser's bracket. Yep, absolutely. JP, I, I have to I have to mention something. I know this used to come up with you a lot, but WrestleMania was Saturday. <laughs> do you do you watch do you watch pro wrestling today? Are you into it at all? Uh, not a ton. My dad <laughs> is still pretty involved. He's you know, he's actually working on a a couple things on some memorabilia things still now, and he's still pretty in touch with a lot of those former wrestlers. I know he was in the Ric Flair 30 for 30 on ESPN. And you know, yes. a lot of people came back and kind of, you know, retold a lot of those stories, but and they yeah, did like he, a, did you see that? They did like a, like a cartoon sort of thing. I think if I remember right. <laughs> yeah. They did like a little cartoon of my grandfather and training both Rick and my dad. And it was, uh, it, it was actually ESPN did a great job on it. And, 
you know, my dad made it sound like you might be in it and he ended up being a big part of those things. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty neat to see the old stuff. But to be honest, I haven't been too involved in watching some of the newer wrestling, but it's, it's pretty incredible that it's taken off and it's as popular as it, it's ever been. No, absolutely. I've got to, I've got to sort of, I guess, back sell this now for our listeners. Your grandpa was Vern Gagne, who was a, a pro wrestling hall of famer, right? Yeah, he's in the WD Hall of Fame, and it's yeah. really, I mean, he was a true wrestler in the form of he played, he wrestled in college, and I think he won four Big Ten titles and a few national championships yeah. as a heavyweight at the University of Minnesota, so he parlayed that into a professional career, yep. and, your, and my grandfather and my dead father followed in his footsteps. Right. He was a, a, a tag team champion, I believe, in the 90s, so yep. Greg Gagne. Exactly. Yep, that's right, up and in, in, based out of of Minneapolis. Did you ever, did they, did they ever try to get you to go into the family business? What was, what was that like? You know, not really. I mean, my dad, I, I played just about every other sport as a child. I mean, other than having to wrestle them and, you know, at, at, at holidays or whenever they felt like knocking some sense into me, I really never <laughs> learned wrestling. You know, I think my, my friends found it almost more exciting that they'd come over and ask my dad or grandfather to put him in a sleeper hold or put him into some type of wrestling hold. Um, so that was always pretty entertaining to see, have a buddy wake up, you know, on the floor five minutes after my, my dad got his hands on. But, uh, yeah, they never really pushed me. I mean, I think it's, I think it's a great sport, especially for youth to just learn balance and strength. And I, right. I sometimes wish I would have, but, um, it was one of those things that never pushed me into it. And, um, you know, thankfully I haven't got the call from Vince McMahon that I have to be at the third in line and go, go <laughs> get in the right. ring. I don't think I do very well at my age. That's right. I mean, you mentioned Ric Flair. It was kind of like, if I remember right, it was like when you were growing up, wasn't it basically like a who's who of wrestling that kind of came through your household there? <laughs> yeah. My, uh, my mom actually gave me the, uh, their wedding video a few years ago and you know, Ric Flair was actually in the wedding and had Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant were in the first row. And, <laughs> you know, her side of the family does not, they come from more of a ha hockey background. So they were looking around like, who the heck are all these guys at the wedding? But yeah, <laughs> I mean, we did, you know, it was regular to see all those guys around the house when they, when they come and wrestle in town. And, you know, we did, we did family vacations and trips with the Flares and other families. So it was, uh, a very unique childhood, that's for sure. I don't know how I ended up as a baseball player. That's awesome. Well, you did, and a very good one at that. J.P. Gagne, the closer from Notre Dame's 2002 College World Series team, and of this, this of course, the 20-year anniversary of that team. And you guys are are coming into. Are you coming into town for the anniversary later this month? Yeah, I wouldn't miss it. I'm really excited right. to see everybody. I mean, we we have people spread out all over the country, so it's so great when we can all. Pick a spot and come back for it and catch a, catch a weekend of baseball. All right. Awesome. That's going to be the uh, the end of the month, I believe. The Boston College series is uh, when Correct. that's taking place. So, all right. Well, looking forward to that. JP, great stuff. It was great catching up with you. I appreciate your time. Great, uh, great memories from the College World Series in 2002. Thanks a lot, Sean. Really appreciate it. Thanks yep. for all your support. Yep, absolutely. J.P. Gagne from Notre Dame's 2002 College World Series team. Let's take a timeout and we come back. More Budweiser's weekday sports beat is coming up on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Are you a business owner worried about the safety of your sensitive data? Look no further than Midwest Data Depot, your local secure off-site backup storage solution. Visit MidwestDataDepot.com.